0: Everyone, good evening. This is uh, the Carolina Weather Group. Welcome to our little weather get together. It's February 20th, 2019, show number 266. And tonight's guest is Brian Brett Schneider. He is a climatologist in the state of Alaska. And I'm sure if you follow on Weather Twitter, you've probably seen a lot of Brian's tweets. And we're really excited to have Brian with us tonight. In fact, uh, he was just showing us there's a lot of snow on the ground up there. So for all you folks here in the Carolinas and the Southeast who are wanting some snow, Well, you can enjoy Brian Snow tonight uh, in the background. So uh, we welcome you to the show. Sorry about the delayed start. We had a little technical difficulties, but we think we've got everything straightened out tonight. So uh, thank you again for joining us. We are a live broadcast. And if you want to interact with us, which we highly encourage, you can do that through numerous ways. We're streaming right now on Facebook Live, Periscope, and on our YouTube page. If you want to interact with our guests or maybe even one of our panelists, please uh submit the questions. We'll be monitoring those streams throughout the show tonight. And uh, if you have any questions or any comments, we'll make sure to address those. If you're listening on the podcast later on in the week or weeks to come, we'll let Brian uh, give out some of his social media stuff. So if you're not following him on Twitter, you can do that and uh, enjoy uh, a lot of the information that uh, Brian shares with us. So uh, looking forward to tonight's program. We are going to skip the news segment. We normally start off with that, but since we got a delayed start, we're going to skip that. uh, But Hang around uh, during the weather roundtable. Maybe we can scrounge up a few of those uh, ideas. The uh, There's a few changes uh, coming to our forecast area with the way that you get your forecast. So we want to make sure that we can hit on those. So stick around towards the end of the show. And uh, we may not formally do a news segment. We'll, we'll at least uh, give those highlights in, in uh, to you. So again, uh, let's welcome Brian in. We'll bring him. He is alive right now in Anchorage, Alaska. Brian, welcome to the show. Uh, we're happy to have you. It's still daylight where you are, correct?
1: Yeah. Thanks for for having me on, Scotty. Um, yeah, it's um, it's about four fifteen, so we have another hour and a half of daylight here. Uh, you know, it, it we get uh, it, it increases three or four or five minutes a day this time of year. Um, so uh, it changes a lot from one week to the next.
0: Brian, we were so happy to have you on tonight. Really looking forward to the interview. You you do a lot of stuff in in the weather uh, community and and a lot of climatology. So uh, looking forward to that. But before we do that, since you are a first time guest, we'd love for you to kind of give us your weather story. How did you get involved in weather and climatology? And uh, you were telling us before the show, you were originally from Texas moving up to Alaska. So uh, what's uh, what's your weather story? How did you uh, get involved in, in in this crazy world that uh, that we all enjoy being in?
1: Well, I think like uh, like a lot of people, I just um, you know you you look outside and you you observe and you you think about it and you you kind of see interesting things and you decide you want to learn more about it. Um, and then you know as a uh, uh, as a college student uh, in graduate school, I um, uh, studied geography, environmental geography. And decided I wanted to do a focus in uh, climatology. So, um, and you, and a lot of climatology programs are actually uh, part of geography departments. And so, I studied actually tropical climatology, hurricanes, um, for my uh, uh, PhD work. And and then once I moved up to Alaska, uh, I really obviously became embedded with the um, uh, with the goings on for the uh, the weather and climate in Alaska. So. Uh, again, it's probably a, a story that's not dissimilar from from a lot of people. It's just it's just something that's really interesting um, from a uh, from a number of points of view, and uh, you just decide you want to learn more about it.
0: Uh, Brad, we were talking again before the show, and a lot of folks here in the southeast may think of Alaska just being a cold place in general, uh, but that's not the case. So, tell us a little bit about how. Uh, how the weather is in Alaska, you, we were talking, you guys get warm spells as well up there, but kind of just give us a, a general overview of, of what you could expect in a given year in Alaska.
1: Well, of course um, it's, it's cold for half the year, right? So we have um, in most of Alaska, like for here in Anchorage, we have snow on the ground pretty continuously from uh, early November through mid April. It would be not uncommon for there to be snow on the ground every single day for a hundred and, 60 to 180 days. Um, But then what with the high sun angle in the summer, it's actually a lot warmer than people uh, expect when they get here. Um, And and because that the high sun angle and and the length of the day and and the way that the the sun hitting uh, your skin for multiple hours, people always come away feeling it's a lot, it feels a lot warmer than it actually is. So, you know, my parents came up and visited from Texas a few years ago, and it was in may and it was about 65 degrees and but it was sunny and, and i asked them what the temperature was and they thought it was oh maybe we're on 80 degrees and they were shocked to hear it was 65 so but we do get um you know in the interior of the state it gets to 80s even 90s uh, are not uncommon uh, anything higher than that would be uh you know we've only had 100 degree reading ever in the state but uh, i think fairbanks averages something like uh 30 or 40 days a year in the 80s so it it gets warmer than people expect. So it's it's a it, you know it's one extreme or the other.
2: Awesome. So Brian, you conduct research with the International Arctic Research Center. Uh, right. What kind of work do you do there? Tell us a little bit about some of the the research that you're doing in climatology.
1: Yeah. So I'm a um, uh, I'm with the university as you mentioned the University of Alaska Fairbanks the International Arctic Research Center. Although I live in Anchorage, so I'm not I'm not physically in Fairbanks, even though I'm with the University of Alaska Fairbanks. Uh, and my my primary areas of research is uh, Arctic sea ice and working on models to uh, to predict and to forecast uh, seasonal Arctic sea ice. And so, because you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of kind of unknown not unknowns but a lot of parts to the to the Arctic climate system. I mean, there, there's fewer in situ observations. There's a shorter period of record. And so, you know, we, we're 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 kind of adding an, a, another tool to the toolbox um, doing. Uh, Some looking at Arctic sea ice at at the at the seasonal and annual time scale
2: Okay, and you know with that sea ice I feel like I'm constantly seeing posts about how it's less and less each year Um, and that that kind of leads us into the warming uh, Climate weather talk if we we can have here a lot of people if you guys follow Brian on Twitter You'll see that he posts a lot of very interesting um, climatology posts about how the weather has been warming um, in Alaska. As a matter of fact, you were just posting one today. Um, I was glancing at before the show. Can you tell us a little bit about how uh, what, what you found recently about, you know, this warming in general?
1: Yeah, so, you know, with the, it's this, this feedback, right? When you have less sea ice and when you have less snow, especially in the shoulder seasons, not so much in the heart of winter, but we're talking now less snow in say October, November, and then less snow in April and May. I know that sounds funny, you know, April and May snow, but uh, for a lot of people on the outside. But when, when you when you have that snow on the ground, it's like a mirror, the sun's energy, it just goes right back off into space when you when you reduce that snow and the ice, that with the high sun angle and the 18-20 and hours of daylight in May, you're just absorbing so much energy and it just warms up the whole um, that the whole northern part of the earth. And then that that affects the jet stream and, and a whole bunch of other things. So you know, we here in Alaska, especially in the last say six years, we have been we we really flipped a switch in 2013, and we just have been warm and warm and warm. You know, we might have a few cold spells here and there, but you know the the warm spells now outnumber the cold spells by four or five or eight to one. So it's really deep, everyone that here notices it. You know, people don't say, "Oh, I wonder if it's warmer or not." Everyone everyone notices it. It's just it's just different than it used to be.
0: And Brian, talking about those uh, those warmer temperatures and, and maybe less snowfall, maybe less moisture in general. Uh, talk to us about the wildfire season up in Alaska. It seems like uh, that is also an issue that that you guys face from time to time.
1: Yeah, we have. You know, it doesn't get nearly as much press coverage, but it, it in in many years, even most years, more acres burn in Alaska than the entire lower forty eight. Um, you know, we have. You know, we have most of the state is boreal forest, or at least half the state is boreal forest. And in the interior of the state, there's a number of thunderstorms, and so we get, um, you know, we get dry lightning uh, that that sparks these, you know, the, these black spruce forests. And they're they're really like matches, you know, that grow in the ground. I mean, they just they just go up really fast. Excuse me. And you know, particularly when we have a low snow winter right and or early snow melt off march april may are our driest months of the year climatologically we just don't get weather systems those months and so when, when you're really dry and your snow melts early in the season it's really prone to human caused fires and then once you get later into may and into june the rains haven't moved in yet you're really prone now to lightning dry lightning fires and so it's a real it's a real problem in the interior of the state and these are r- remote areas and for the most part they just let the fires burn but they do have they do uh, when they do impact uh, uh, populated areas or native allotments they do uh, they do you know parachute in there or, or however they get in there and uh, try to fight those fires.
2: So James just had one of the one of your posts on Twitter where you're showing kind of a map of the acres burned in Alaska. I want mm-hmm. to kind of use that to transition to talking about some of the maps that you create. For everyone that follows you, you make some awesome Twitter maps. Uh, and I, I, can you tell us a little bit about how do you make those and how do you use those maps to communicate your research so effectively?
1: Well, thank you. Um, well, you know, first and foremost, I'm I'm a, a geographer. So my my undergraduate, masters, and PhD all say geography. And I've spent many many years doing um, um, you know professionally. Before I worked for the university, I worked for you know, for more than 15 years, basically making maps among other things. So I, I spent I spent about five years uh, as a wetland ecologist. You know, literally with machete, you know, hacking through um, you know greenbrier and and uh, blackberry thickets in the deep south. Um, but uh, but also making the maps. And so I'm really familiar with the maps. And and for me, maps tell a story. They, um, you know, you can write the old saying uh, that a picture's worth a thousand words. Well, a map is worth many thousands of words, and and people people feel comfortable with maps. They like maps, and 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 maybe there's a some part of, part of the population that they they don't they they have a hard time kind of visualizing spatially. But most people really feel comfortable with it. It's so much easier to look at a map than to read a 500 or a thousand word blog post or to or to, you know, or or to watch a video on YouTube even. It's just, you know, a map in just in in just a few seconds, you can you can communicate all this information. And and people, you know, we're we're a, a short attention span society now. You know, people like, you know, these short bits of information, uh that but if you can pack a lot of stuff in there that they can they can digest really easily and in, in, in a short amount of time, you know, that's what people want. And and it's it's a it's a good confluence because that's what I like to do. So it just so happens that what I like to do, what I'm good at um, is what people seem to find interesting. So it works out for, uh, for everyone.
3: Brian, you made a, a great point just then where you talked about uh, you know a map can be worth a thousand words, how it can really paint a story. Mm-hmm. You know, From mm-hmm. you personally, uh, you know, I guess in your own mind, what's some of the most compelling maps that, that you've created and, and been able to share with people, uh, and like I said, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, so I've I've made you know I don't know how many it feels like thousands and thousands of maps I I've never counted, Um, but I do start to get a a kind of an opinion for what people find interesting and what they don't, Um, you know people the and 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 it's also interesting there's a there's a real Facebook, Twitter divide, you know on Facebook for example, you know it's mainly uh, the 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 audience is much more local. It's generally much more casual, um, and they're kind of just looking for some nuggets of information. Uh, on Twitter, there's a I'd say a, a maybe a quarter plus or minus of the followers are, you know, they're they're in in a in a science community, and so they, you know, they're they're kind of craving more technical or more detailed information. Um, but it's what I like to you know there, there's a thousand you know model snow maps out there, and there's a thousand. You know, it, this this was the uh, you know the precipitation departure from normal maps out there. Um, but when people see something, they maybe they haven't seen before, like how much snow falls after the first seventy degree day of the year, right? Or um, you know, or the um, well, like I I haven't made the map yet, but I actually just computed uh, I ran through all the ASOS stations in the whole U.S. and flagged everyone that's ever reported thunder snow. You know, I think. And, and It'll surprise people. It's happened a lot more than than than, uh, than most people probably realize. Uh, but but just stuff that you've never seen before. So you know, studying geography growing up, you know, I would constantly get the the question from people like when I say, "Yeah, I make maps," and people would say, "Well, don't we have a map of everything?" Right? Well, well, yeah, we have a map of the highways and we have a map of the of the coastline. You know, but we don't have a map of you know the sweet gum trees in alabama right we don't have a map of you know the uh you know the the distance to bald eagle nests in you know in arizona so there's lots of information out there that uh that we that we don't have that uh sorry uh that you know people are are really interested in and so i like to think that i can kind of provide that information to them
4: Now, Brian, one of the things that's really interesting about these maps is you have learned some lessons along the way. And probably one of the maps that um, sticks out the most uh, to me was the map right around Thanksgiving uh, that you posted that was what is every region's favorite Thanksgiving day pie? Right. and it was and you have a tendency to be a little bit of a joker when it comes to creating mm-hmm. these maps. And this one got attention of a lot of people. It caused mm-hmm. a lot of different debate on Twitter. And mm-hmm. you actually put together a really good blog post about those lessons learned just from this fake this right. fake map that you posted. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was that you learned in creating just this, this map and and what ensued from it?
1: Well, and and yeah, that was—it's been a really uh, eye-opening experience. Um, You know, one of the things I've actually uh, said repeatedly over the years is, when people see maps, there's a sense of, of authenticity—not only authenticity, but of uh, trust. You know, if we see it on a map, it must be true, right? Because most people's interactions with maps are roads, or or again, or, or rivers and mountains you know, obviously you all know, we say, well, the mountains are in the right spot, you know, we, so we trust the map. If it's in a map, it must be true. It must be the truth. You know, people think maps are sent from God, you know, if it's in a map, you know, it's true. Um, and so I do like to to have fun with it, you know, so I may make a map that shows, you know, favorite day of the week and I'll just randomly assign a day of the week. And, uh, but yeah, for this Thanksgiving one, I just, I said, you know, favorite pie. And I, I tried to make as, as absurd as possible, uh, but people took it really seriously. Um, uh, but really, the lesson learned is is because people take it seriously. Um, you know, it's almost like playing a joke on someone, and it's not, and they don't find it funny. You know, it, sometimes you have to tell them, "Hey, I'm, this is a joke." Uh, and so, um, so really, it's it's I learned that uh, you know my sense of humor. There's there's a there's a collection of people that kind of know me and understand that oh, this is Brian. He's just he's just being silly. Um, but then once it, it it escapes that ecosystem, people don't know, and so you need to uh, you need to kind of you know just like with, with email and work, you know when when you send an email with in work you you know you would never you always uh, you you should always assume that everyone's going to see the email, right? So you would never say talk bad about someone in an email. Well, the same with the, this map in this case, using that analogy that ex- you should ex- expect that people won't get the joke. So. Uh, You know, so just to kind of keep that in in the back of your mind.
4: And one of of the other questions. Sorry, Chris, did I interrupt? Sorry. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. Um, But one of the other questions, you know, as you've placed these, you've put these maps out there in on Twitter and and on you know Facebook and social media. we, we've seen a kind of a move away from people learning geography, um, not being able to identify their own state on a map, their own County on a map and, you know, their own local area on a map. And has that been something that you've also noticed in what you've posted online that, that there is a discontent or disconnect between um, people looking at these maps, but actually understanding what they're reading on these
1: maps. Well, I think there's, you know, the, so the, the scale matters. So if you're, if you're in, you know in kansas and there's a tornado warning issued for you know smith county you know there's a there's a high likelihood a lot of the people who aren't in smith county won't be able to pick it out on a map but pretty much everyone in kansas will be able to pick out kansas on a map or they'll be able to pick out nebraska on a map and so for the most part this the the spatial domain that i deal with is large enough you know it's either alaska or the entire north america that that people. People kind of understand in general terms where they are now. When I was teaching geography years ago at the university level, I would do experiments. You know, I would I put just a, a map with it with with uh, with an outline on it and say, you know, put a dot where you think we live uh, or where we are today, and they were all over the place, right? So even even you know so but at that small scale, you know, it's there's a there's a, a lot more variability. So I don't actually run into that so much um, because of the scale that I'm working with.
3: Uh, that's, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, transition a little bit for, for folks that don't know, you know, Alaska's got, you know, I think more volcanoes and probably gets more earthquakes than any part of the United States, you know, yeah. and you guys just experienced a pretty big earthquake, uh, earlier, I guess, well, actually it was in 2018, late last year. So, you know, how did that affect you?
1: You know, it's, um, you know you know that you live in an earthquake zone right all the maps show you know for earthquake hazard have it painted in red um but it you just you can never understand it till you go through it and I, you see the same thing with people that you know that they they ride out the court the you know the eye of a hurricane they'll, they'll come out afterward and said yeah i thought it was going to be bad but i had no idea how bad it was going to be uh, it was the same with the earthquake you you expect oh it's going to shake and stuff's going to move around but but you don't expect You know stuff to come crashing and you don't expect um you know all the damage and 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 the psychologically you know it's even today months later when a truck drives by and this is common for many people a truck drives by and you hear some rumbling and you think you stop what you're doing and you're like is this another one because that's how they they kind of start to feel so really uh it really kind of you know it, it becomes this 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 core paradigm that you that 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 is part of your 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 sense of of day-to-day existence. So, but it was it was uh, remarkable. But we also live in a place that has strict building codes, and um, and because of that, we were basically you know up and running within a few days right afterward. So, um, you know we're, we're we're built for cold, and but we're also built for earthquakes, and so that um, you know that that made things a lot easier.
3: Yeah. And uh, speaking of the cold brings me to my next question um, with Alaska being so, you know, spatially big as it is, you know, most folks don't realize that, it, you know, the state of Alaska is darn near the size of the lower 48. But, uh, you know, how do you guys keep track of the, the climate, you know, from a daily standpoint across the entire state and, and going forward with that? Do you, I've always been fascinated with Denali. And do you guys keep weather stations, you know, in the national park or even on Denali itself?
1: so um it is big and it is sparse right so i did a i did a um an exercise i I superimposed the state of california over the center of the state and and then i i I calculated the poly the area within that polygon and it was like seven thousand people right so you know there's big data gaps the whole northeast alaska climate division there's there's no data basically there's like one cooperative station for an area the size of like arizona so um, so, so big data gaps, but um, but Rick Toman over at the um, formerly the National Weather Service and now with the University of Alaska, he developed this uh, this this uh, index using um, mainly ASOS stations around the state, which pretty closely mirrors um, you know uh, uh, satellite and and other proxy measures of, of, of temperature. So you know so we we do we can get a sense re- real time. But it is big, right? We have a joke here in Alaska that if you cut Alaska in half, Texas would be the third largest state. Um, and it varies. wide. So you could have one part of the state that's way below normal, another part that's way above normal. Um, and so it's, it's you know, it, and the and the regimes are so different. You know, Juneau is a wet tropical, not tropical, but a rainforest climate. And Fairbanks is a, is a cold continental climate. And there's other, you know maritime and uh, maritime and 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 tundra climates and so there's a there's a lot of different a lot of differences uh because it is so big
3: yeah that's that's awesome and and, you know one follow-up to that you said that you uh, studied a lot of sea ice Mm Yeah, you know a lot of people have really got to know alaska back you know a few years back when the discovery channel started doing the the deadliest catch series and you've really got to see you know those ships out there in the Bering sea take a beating and is that you know was that hollywood or is that pretty much how, how it is
1: it is a real hazard um and, and really it's and i don't know i didn't watch the show um but more so than the than the ice because they they can stay clear of the ice it's the freezing spray and so when it when it's when the wind is blowing and it's below freezing the droplets get blown off the tops of the waves and they just stick to everything um and and that's i think that's the most common way that that, that have a reason for sinking is the, the accumulation of ice from from freezing spray and so that's that's kind of a hidden hazard that a lot of people don't know about
2: that's fascinating i, I never knew that freezing spray would be be an issue like that i watched the show as well chris Um, And I always figured it would be some big wave crashing over the bow and pulling it down. Um, But I'm going to transition away from the weather chat just for a minute and talk about Mm -hmm. the creature that's behind you on the wall. Tell us a little bit about Alaskan moose or meese or whatever the plural that word is.
1: You know, so everyone everyone loves moose. Right. And it is moose is plural for whatever reason, most ungulates. So like deer and muskox and uh, I'm drawing a blank on others. But. But the, the singular and plural are the same. I don't know why. But um yeah, everyone, everyone loves moose. I mean, even if people who've lived here their whole life, if a moose is walking across the street, they'll stop, right? And they'll take pictures. Um and they'll be, you know, it's exciting because you know it's 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 an emblem of wildness. Um I mean, they are wild animals and they are dangerous. They're actually probably more dangerous than bears. Um, but but they 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 represent wildness uh, and kind of you know the last frontier, and and they're um, you know and, and it also and this is hard for a lot of people to understand, but in outside the city, moose are extremely important uh, as a subsistence as as a I mean for hunting for eating basically, and um, you know once you get off the road network, there's no Walmart you know there's no grocery store. Um, the, the, all the communities have a, uh, you know, they, they have a, a small store, you know, general store or whatever. But uh, in many of these communities, literally 60 to 80 percent of the annual they consume come from wild things that they they catch and hunt. Um, and so moose are, are highly prized and highly valuable uh, as a uh, uh, as a subsistence, you know, uh, food resource in most of the state. But but here in town in the winter. We have probably about a thousand moose in town, and so that's about five per square mile. So they're, you know, you don't see them every day. I haven't seen one for about two weeks, but then you might see four or five or six in a day, and we they might be just sometimes they just hang out in the neighborhood. And so I might see the same moose or two, you know, every day for two or three weeks. So it is hit or miss, Um, but they um, but again everyone everyone loves the moose. uh, visitors, residents, uh, it's, uh, you won't find anyone who doesn't like moose, frankly.
2: That's awesome. So, I'm And, and they're, a they're a lot bigger
1: than people realize. I mean, a full-grown moose is literally like, uh, you know, its head is sitting at maybe eight feet tall, right? So, it's, and it's like, um, you know, the average, I think, um, male uh, white-tailed deer is about 250 pounds, and, but the average, uh, you know, cow or bull moose is probably uh, 1,200 pounds. I mean, they're 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 just they're a lot bigger than people realize.
2: That's massive. So I'm from the mountains of western North Carolina, and we obviously don't have any moose, um, but we do have black bears. Far less dangerous than probably most of the animals in Alaska. Are definitely less dangerous than a grizzly or a moose. Um, but it's definitely the same kind of situation where everyone, most people, love to see the bears, except for the people where the bears get into their trash. They don't like the bears as much. But you know, you see them around, and it's always interesting. Um. Also, you know, mm-hmm. the big difference for our viewers is that here in the Carolinas we have lots of venomous. I think that's the right word, not poisonous. Venomous snakes. Whereas mm-hmm. as in Alaska, I've been following up, and there's you have snake kits, snake bite kits in the yeah. store, and they've been slowly dwindling. Yet there are no snakes there, right?
1: Well, so um, yeah. So yeah, we have bear and moose, but we have let's see we have no no snakes, we have no um, ticks, no chiggers, no fire ants. Um, you no know, roaches. Um, what am I, I mean, you could literally leave a, um, we got mosquitoes you know, a, 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 What about spiders? We do have mosquitoes. We do oh. have mosquitoes. Oh, no. um, But about, I, I've actually laid down in our yard in the summer and just taken a nap and fallen asleep. And, and, uh, you don't, you know, you don't get, you have to worry about getting bit by anything. If, if the mosquitoes are, are, are not an issue. We um, so like, you know, we don't, we don't give our, our pets. We don't have to give them heartworm treatments. We don't have heartworm you know, um, or and tick stuff, you know, it's, uh, uh, we just have the big stuff. You may have me,
0: you may have me convinced to move to Alaska. Do you have spiders there?
1: We do have spiders, but uh, not, you know, we don't have the venomous kind. They're just, you know, little tiny, small kinds and, and ants, just little kind of, you know, sugar ants. No
0: spider, I mean, no poison, or venomous snakes and not a lot of spiders. You may have me convinced. Uh, uh, looking over some of the viewer questions, I think one thing that jumped out to a lot of people and may be fascinating and um, generally there's thunderstorms, you know, many places, but a lot of people were um, fascinated to understand that you guys, you know, have thunderstorms around the same time that we do here in the Southeast, you know, spring. And uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the thunderstorm activity and, and maybe what that season looks like? You know, what, how many months do you guys average thunderstorms
1: well so in the in here in anchorage we average one thunderstorm day per year so when when we do have thunder it's like a big deal like everyone will will post online thunder anyone hear the thunder um in the interior of the state there's um places average between say about eight and up to say 20 thunderstorm days per year now down in the southeast you you might get uh, 60 or 70 thunderstorm days a year. So it's not nearly as many. and it is concentrated. It's concentrated generally from June re- to maybe the first week of August. Um, so in June, very high sun angle um, and that's when the um, early June or late May, early June, that's when the leaves you know finally wake up from the um, from the, from the long winter. And so as they're now transpiring lots of moisture, Okay. So, and, and uh, you're adding a lot more moisture, to the atmosphere, and then there's uh, other instability um, that causes the trigger of these storms. But it really is, again, it's, 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 it's really confined to about a 10 week period. Once you get into August, uh, August, it really is much more cloudy. And there there's much less instability, we have a lot of rain, but it's stratiform rain, we don't we need that um, that that intense sunlight that causes a thermal trough to form north of the Alaska Range, uh, which provides then a lot of the um, uh, you know the synoptic, if you will, uh, lift for these storms. But then one, once we cloud up in August, you don't get that um, that solar heating, you don't get that thermal trough, and the thunderstorms pretty much shut off.
3: All right. And I was going to follow up with that, Brian, and just kind of curious. I, I didn't know if those thunderstorms would be caused by upslope flow with the terrain, with the mountains or or what, but you kind of hit on it pretty good.
1: Yeah, we, we do get some easterly, wa- actually easterly waves coming out of, like, the Yukon Territory that, that provides some dynamic uh, instability. But mainly it's uh, it's just kind of pop-up uh, thermally driven air mass thunderstorms. Awesome. Paul. Yeah. Uh, And then,
0: uh,
1: Brian, another thing
0: that a lot of folks um, have questions about uh, is is your seasons. You know, wintertime with with the sun's horizon, it tends to stay a little bit darker up there in the summertime. You know, you get more hours of sunlight. So talk a little bit about that. And then um, maybe kind of uh, another question a lot of folks talk to, and we kind of talked about this before the show, is the psychological effects of of just – it's really – not that too overly coldish, as it seems to you yeah. guys. Warm is is still warm to you, and, and cold is still cold, but it, it may not be as as bad as people imagine it to be.
1: Yeah. So, for as far as the seasons go, um, you know, here in the southern part of the mainland, we would say winter. You know, winter is November through March, and even though the snow will stay in through the first half of April, it's 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 um, it's generally much warmer. You know, so. Uh, so it's about a five month winter. Up in the interior, you know, you would add a you know three or four weeks to that. So you would you would literally say, you know, winter is probably late October through mid April. Um, and it really, you know, it it would be uncommon to not have snow on the ground those days. I think I computed a few years ago here in Anchorage in, in the last 60 years, we've only had, you know, 15 or 20 days in the month of January that didn't have snow on the ground. So it's just, it's just always there uh which and and then you you mentioned psychologically there's a you know weather and climate particularly the climate is is psychological uh, to a large degree you know if you're in texas or arizona you don't wake up you know in in july and say i wonder if it's going to be hot today it just it is right um well in alaska you don't wake up in december or january and wonder if it's going to be cold it is and you don't wonder if there's going to be snow on the ground there will be um so so having that kind of certainty um is comforting in a lot of ways it can also be toward the end of the season it, people you know people do get kind of cabin fever and they get you know they're, they're kind of ready for it to be over with um, because once you get into march and, and april you know now we're talking you know april we're talking 14 15 hours of daylight you know people want to get out and do stuff and if there's still snow in the ground you know it, it it makes it quite a bit harder and then the summer you know summer is 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 you know june july august pretty much like everywhere else August is a very wet month in Alaska. So you can't get out and do much stuff. But, but you know, it, it it can be hard to describe what the the seasonality and daylight means to people up here. You know, it's some to some degree it can be a novelty for people who who don't experience it. But especially in the summer with with the with the almost continuous daylight, um, you feel like you can just do stuff anytime, right? You know, you can like after work, after five o'clock, I can go do a six hour long hike. Right and and be back before sunset. You know I can I've heard people fire up their lawnmower at 11 or 11:30 at night. And you know we hit, we've had to tell the neighbor kids at time you know at 12, one in the morning to stop bouncing their basketball. You know because they're just out in the driveway you know playing ball, you know at like one in the morning. So it's um, um you know and, and and you feel like you have to a lot of people feel like they have to to Put a whole year's worth of activities in, in a couple of months, and so people are just on the go constantly uh, in the in the summertime. And and you, it's actually kind of depressing when you get into like September and you realize, oh my gosh, there's not as much daylight. I, I can't, I got to do all the stuff I was going to do in the summer that I didn't get to. I got I got to do it now. So, um, so it's it's. And then yeah, in the winter, you know, people get people complain about the uh, the darkness. People don't really complain about the weather, uh, the snow and the cold. Uh, they complain about the darkness. You know, it's kind of a running joke. You know, people in Minnesota and, you know, Michigan and Dakotas, you know, they 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 talk about how, you know, people there don't complain about the weather. Well, usually, I mean, uh, but a lot of times uh, they kind of secretly do complain to each other. They just don't want to let people uh, from outside know that they're complaining. But, but you don't see that as much here. You don't see people complaining about the winter, but they do complain about the darkness for sure.
0: That's fascinating information. Well, Brian, we don't want to keep you too much longer because I know you know, it's, it's probably about uh, dinner time for you all uh, there. So we appreciate you joining us tonight. Yeah. If, our, uh, if our followers want to follow along with you on some of the stuff that you're doing, if they're not already following, how can they do that?
1: Well, uh, and I'm going to walk out here uh, so you can see some snow here. Just started snowing. <laughs> but you can follow me on uh, Twitter. I'm at Climatologist49. I do have a, a Alaska Climate. Uh, Facebook page, but it's um, uh, it's probably a little harder to find. But it's called Alaska Climate Info. There I'll uh, I'll turn around. It just starts snowing here, and um, so yeah. So people are uh, Twitter is probably the best way to uh, to to follow me, and and um, I, I I do try to cross post stuff there as well. So um, that's probably the way to go for most folks.
0: Awesome! How about that? We got to see some snow, well, Brian. We appreciate uh, your time tonight. Uh, If you want to stick around, you're more more than welcome to. I think we're going to go to a break, and we're going to talk a little bit about what Brian was speaking about earlier, some thundersnow and just exactly how we get that. Not only are you great at covering hurricanes and and tornadoes, talk to us about the thundersnow episodes. You've got to witness a lot of these something that a lot of us have never really got to witness. So, so talk to us about your excitement uh, of witnessing this.
5: Yeah, so on live television, guys, I've been in five of these episodes, which is just unthinkable, first of all. To even have five with or without being on TV is, is a whole amazing part. But, but um, the, the last one, of course, was February 15th of 2015 when it just never stopped snowing in Boston. And, and I'll give you a kind of, kind of a little inside story on that. I was basically in Boston covering the snowstorm and we didn't have to move because every other day there was a forecast for snow and impact snow for the Boston metro area. So they're like, Jim, listen, we want you to get out of the Cape because the winds are going to be a little bit stronger and you're going to get some heavy snow. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll do that. And so Reynolds Wolf took over for me uh, in Boston. So here I am in Plymouth. Reynolds is in, uh, in Boston. At about 5.05 in the morning, I see him getting thunder and lightning in his shot. I was completely demoralized. I'm like, no, I just left there. I could have gotten the thunder. So I was completely demoralized. I literally went face down in the snow. 15 minutes later, I got it. And so I went from down here to way up here, uh, literally in just a minute. So, so the euphoria, that's what created, I think, that whole reaction. And then it happened again. And it happened again, and it happened again right in that spot. So now, when I go out and cover a snowstorm, okay, it's not about where's the most snow going to be, but where and when are we going to get the potential for thunder snow? That that's the first thing I'm looking at these days. Uh, now, now again, I want to kind of put a little asterisk here. Do I encourage people to go out when there's thunder and lightning? No, 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 no. I do not, uh, and I probably shouldn't be out there as well. All right, we all we all know that, but there's just so. I can't tell you what it is, but there's just something about being out there when it's snowing, literally two, three, four inches an hour. And all of a sudden you get a flash of lightning. The whole sky goes pink and purple. You hear this muffled thunder coming through. It's just kind of the atmosphere at its best in a, in a wintertime situation.
6: That's Jim Cantore in 2017 right here on the Carolina Weather Group talking about thundersnow. And here's a tweet from tonight. We actually had this thundersnow rolling through the high country at about 6, 11 p.m. Eastern tonight. You can see all those bolts of lightning right there observed on radar. And I know our own Scotty Powell as we bring back in the panel. Scotty, you observed this in Morganton, did you not?
0: Oh, man, it has been a crazy day. Let me tell you how it started off. You know, we were talking about freezing rain and sleet last night. Uh, we, I woke up this morning. We had about a half an inch of sleet and just uh, under a tenth of an inch of ice. It's been really cold and, and just drizzly today. Temperature, our high, got up to 34. Uh, but this afternoon, we had some elevated cape. Uh, that was warmer air aloft, And uh, we just had just the cold air at the surface, just enough convection that we uh, had some thunder sleet going on here in the foothills and the mountains. So uh, just a fascinating day. I, I, I I've never experienced thunder snow before, but now I can collect the or or check the thunder sleet off of the list because uh, it was uh, it was coming down about six o'clock this evening. And uh, one thing also um, we were talking about uh, before the show is that thunder was so loud and the rumbles lasted so long. One time I counted twenty seconds of just a long rumbling thunder, and the reason is it's it's an inversion Uh, that that warm air aloft kind of caps the sound and. Uh, bounces it back to the ground and it's kind of like sound waves and it just echoes and echoes and echoes. So it's been a fascinating evening in the mountains, and the foothills. Uh, Boone uh, had thunderstorms as well with snow on the ground and some sleet and snow falling up there with the temperature. I think it was like 32 degrees, 31, 32 degrees at six o'clock. So uh, it's been a fascinating uh, evening here in the foothills and the mountains, just uh, with the thunderstorms and the snow and the sleet. Uh, I know Evan and I was talking about it. Evan, I, I know you're missing this man. This is uh, happening in your backyard.
2: It is, yeah. I mean, it, it brings me back memories of I, I've seen thunder snow once in Charlotte, uh, and it was fascinating. I kind of, you know, thinking back, back back on it in my mind, I feel like I was probably like Jim Cantore was in the famous video of him jumping up and down that thunder snow. Um, so it, it's fascinating stuff, and I wish I was there to experience it. But in the mountains, at least in the Asheville area, it was warmer today than it was down in Morganton where Scotty is and up in Boone. Um, We were actually in the 40s all day at my house in uh, just southeast of Asheville. And uh, Beach Mountain up near Boone was up to, I believe it was almost 50 degrees, 49 degrees at one point. So that's that warm air aloft that Scotty was talking about.
0: Yeah, we're going to stay wedged in. Uh, we should start to break that down tomorrow, and then we're going to kind of get wedged back in on Saturday. Uh, that's going to kind of lead to a weather – I'm sorry, rainy weather pattern. I'll get that straight here. You can see our live cam there in Blowing Rock, of the snow on the ground and the fog. And, uh, again, that's uh, it's really foggy throughout the mountains and foothills. But it's going to be a rainy week coming uh, into uh, rain coming through tonight. Uh, we get a little bit of a break on Thursday and then a couple more rounds of rain on Friday and Saturday. I think we have some graphics from the uh, Weather Prediction Center uh, that we can post up showing the, uh, the risk for flash flooding. Uh, this is for tomorrow, I believe. Yes, this is uh, day two. So a marginal risk of flash flooding for a good chunk of western and central North Carolina as well as the upstate and even into the Midlands of South Carolina. As we go to the next slide, this will be for Friday. The uh, marginal threat still exists for western North Carolina and the mountains and the foothills and just a little bit of uh, the upstate of South Carolina. So it's going to be a very uh, rainy week, uh, end of the week here in western North Carolina. Another uh, one to maybe three inches of rain on top of the two to three inches of rain that's already been – happening here in western North Carolina and the upstate of South Carolina. So uh, those flood concerns will ramp up uh, starting tonight. I know there was a few flood advisories last evening in South Carolina. Expect those uh, to increase in coverage on Thursday and Friday and Saturday as we have several rounds of rain to come in. And those rounds of rain are because of a stalled cold front that's over the Carolinas. And if finally, towards the end of the week into the beginning of next week, we're going to have a strong cold front that moves into the area and kind of pushes all this nastiness out of the way. But before it does that, I'm going to bring in Chris Jackson. Chris, you are watching the potential for severe weather to develop in the uh, mid-south and even maybe possibly in Georgia and South Carolina.
3: Yes, Scotty. uh, You know, before we go into the weekend with the severe weather stuff, I just want to kind of touch base uh, about what's going on tonight and, uh, you know, right now and into tomorrow. You know, currently we've got 43 degrees in Columbia and, uh, you know, going forward to tomorrow it's going to be a really tricky forecast, especially with temperatures. Uh, Most everybody in the Midlands and South Carolina, you know, we've been stuck in this wedge type pattern for uh, it seems like two to three days. You know, the the projected high temp tomorrow is 75 degrees, but I want to put a little like an asterisk beside that, and uh, it, it's going to really determine uh, the high temps. Is, is going to be determined by the you know how fast this cold air is uh, able to get uh, eroded at the surface uh, from the warm air from the south. And uh, as we go through uh, tomorrow afternoon, uh, we got this graphic here at one uh, o'clock tomorrow, and you can see there's a there's going to be a huge gradient set up with a little coastal warm front that pushes inland. And uh, you know, uh, over a span of 30 to 40 miles, there could be a you know a 30 a 30 degree temperature uh, difference with temps in the in the mid 70s approaching 80 uh, in the low country, and, and temps uh, you know Columbia North might not get out of the mid 50s low 50s. So uh, tomorrow's going to be a uh, you know one of those really funny days where it may be uh, you know pretty cold when you start the day off, but uh, by tomorrow afternoon it, it, it may get spring like. But uh, having no a fear because Friday the wedge is back. Uh, it looks like Friday. Once again, the wedge is going to build back in with uh, temps. Uh, probably I, I don't see 60 happen. I, I think it's going to be in the, the mid to high 50s uh, on Friday uh, ahead of this uh, cold front that we mentioned earlier, Scotty. And uh, looking ahead of this weekend, uh, maybe the first big severe weather outbreak is going to occur over the deep South Uh, It looks like we're going to have a big uh, mid-level trough set up with a nice negatively tilted trough at that. And and ahead of that, we're going to have a surface low develop and uh, it's going to get some return flow off the Gulf of Mexico, which is going to really help to pull some moisture up into Mississippi, Arkansas, Tennessee, all the way up to, uh, you know, the Ohio and uh, Mississippi river valleys. And, you know, going forward with that, it looks like Saturday afternoon, there's there's probably going to be a better than not chance of, uh, Uh, widespread severe storms with uh, some tornadoes, maybe a couple strong tornadoes possible from the uh, Storms Prediction Center's uh, uh, discussion this morning. So that's going to be something uh, for folks in Mississippi and western Tennessee to really monitor going forward to uh, this weekend. And I'll kick it back to you, Scotty.
0: Thank you, Chris. I want to share my screen right quick. As Chris was talking, I popped up the radar. Um, So bear with me for just a second. Let me uh, get this popped up and as you can see back over where actually where Evan lives there's another round of uh, thunderstorms moving into the Asheville area as we speak. So if you live in Asheville you're probably hearing the thunder already back towards Waynesville, That's going to again move into the foothills and then eventually into the northern Piedmont. As you can see our winter uh, weather mode radar is showing maybe a little bit of ice developing just north of Greensboro between Greensboro and Winston-Salem. And I've noticed also just some pockets of little ice developing here in Burke County and McDowell County. So uh, again, thunderstorms with ice. It's uh, kind of crazy here in the foothills. And Evan, that's going to kind of lead us to our uh, final part of the weather roundtable. I'll bring you in because um, you and I have been talking. Uh, winter's not over with yet. The Climate Prediction Center uh, has issued uh, their outlook for the end of February into the first part of March. Uh, and it looks like the cold air returns, and maybe our our last chance of maybe seeing something wintry move in the area.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely going to uh, turn back cold again. And I say again because I feel like it's just been really cool and drizzly recently in Asheville. Um, over the last seven days, it's rained six of those days. Um, so it, I, you know, as Chris was saying, the wedge has really been locked in and just kind of making it some nasty weather. Um, as we look forward, I'll go ahead and screen share. Uh, so uh, let's see. Ba-ba. We're going to be having much cooler temperatures and nope, it's gone. Okay, so I'm not screen sharing. That's cool. Um, but yeah, cooler temperatures, the rain threat will continue. We're going to have anywhere from uh, you know, over an inch of rain in the next few days um, and looking out into the next 10 to 15 days, kind of an ensemble mean you know, of two to four inches. Um, so again, keeping up the pattern from 2018 of just wet, wet, wet.
0: Yeah, that wet pattern definitely continuing with uh, the potential of some cooler temperatures. Uh, if you're a winter weather lover, don't give up hope just yet. Uh, we may see another uh, kind of a last battle per se uh, as we enter the uh, the beginning of March. So, uh, before we close off tonight, I we had kind of uh, hinted around at the uh, weather news. I think James has this graphic pulled up um, today. Uh, some uh, information came down towards uh, from the uh, National Weather Service. In Columbia, South Carolina, uh, they have issued a uh, kind of a new zone for Lancaster County. Uh, that's um, the, the, uh, the county kind of between the GSP, the Greenville Spartanburg, and the uh, Columbia uh, Weather Forecast Offices. So uh, now if you live in the panhandle of Lancaster County, and um, this is kind of more, the more populated, this, uh, the panhandle kind of butts up with the city of Charlotte. So uh, it definitely has a bigger population uh, into the, uh, in, in that County. So now there's going to be a Northern Lancaster forecast and more of a Southern Lancaster County forecast. So, uh, we know, uh, James jump in if you want to, because I know you live right in that area. Yep. Uh, there's, there's been some confusion from time to time with, uh, with, uh, winter weather alerts and severe weather alerts. So hopefully the, this will be able to help uh, differentiate, uh, what's going to be happening in that area.
6: Yeah. There's a lot at play here and more, then we can get into at, at this hour. But Lancaster County is under the jurisdiction of the Columbia National Weather Service Office, while the counties around it, Mecklenburg, Union County, North Carolina, and York, are under the jurisdiction of Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina. So you end up kind of with this dome and this inconsistency. Now, that's not changing. Lancaster County is still going to be under the jurisdiction of Columbia, but by dividing out this little peninsula, which is really kind of just a few miles wide and right in this little area where it kind of gets... Uh, covered on three sides by those other counties, they can issue some warnings that will really kind of paint the map because essentially what would happen a lot of times is those other three counties might go under, say, a winter weather advisory. But if the Lancaster County wasn't getting it, you had this three, four, five mile wide little section that kind of stuck up into this area that kind of just made an anomaly on the map. And it was very confusing because weather is not dependent on maps so those folks living in that area are going to get the same weather as the folks living around them and by dividing out the northern peninsula of Lancaster County from the southern area they can kind of make the communication simpler and I think that's the end game Scotty
0: I think so and I know you paid particular attention because your wife at one time worked in that area so hopefully that'll help out the folks so before we end tonight I got on my uh, Waffle House shirt we've got a a Waffle House t-shirt as well uh, our good buddy, Pat Warner, who we had on the show um, to begin the uh, 2019 season, uh, sent us some swag. Uh, we were able to meet on Monday, myself and uh, Evan and Chris and James and Shay uh, at our uh, second uh, installation of our uh, Carolina Weather Group Summit, uh, uh, where we come together and make things uh, bigger and better and hopefully more friendly, uh, tech-friendly for you all. I was able to give out the uh, the Waffle House swag that, Pat had sent us. So uh, we want to uh, send a special thank you to uh, Pat Warner and everyone at the uh, Waffle House. And thank you for hooking us up with a hat, a t-shirt. And we also got a coffee mug as well. So uh, Pat, thank you for sending that stuff. We'll definitely uh, be happy to uh, be wearing that. And uh, we appreciate you thinking of us all. So before uh, we log off, anybody have any closing thoughts?
3: No, Scotty. I just want to see what you said. Thanks. uh, Thanks so much Pat, for the uh, swag. Uh, The hat's comfortable. I love it. It is.
2: It's, Brian, with us? thank you so much for coming on tonight. This is a great show. We were chatting during the uh, Jim Cantore segment, and everyone, um, I want you to know from behind the scenes, this is an excellent show. We really yeah. love it. So.
1: No, I, I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you so much. It was great. So uh, thank you
0: again. Uh, we will see you back here next Wednesday night on the Carolina Weather Group. I think we have Mace Michaels on with us. Um, I don't have the schedule pulled up, but I think that's uh, Mace will be joining us next week. He is a uh, kind of a meteorologist who wears a lot of hats. No pun intended. Uh, so, we're going to talk with Mace and talk about all that he does uh, in the weather community. So, we hope you will join us back here next Wednesday night for another episode of the Carolina Weather Group. Until then, we hope you have a great weekend. Stay warm out there, uh, stay dry, and we'll see you back next Wednesday night for the next episode of Carolina Weather.